Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for listening to Danny and Dusty On Demand, a Service Patriots podcast. Is your heater safe? Why replace it when Service Patriots can restore it? Get their $59, 27-point furnace tune-up and safety check, including a free 1-inch filter. They'll also check your AC for free. Go to servicepatriots.com. All right, uh, we are back here with Ben Golliver in studio, Washington Post, NBA writer, author. I just got my book signed, Bubble Ball, the author of you Bubble did. Ball. He went uh, to the bubble. He was uh, locked in a room. We were actually briefly talking about his experiences, not just uh, in the bubble, but the Tokyo Olympics as well. Abroad. <laughs> Abroad. Uh, ben, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? It was my pleasure. You know, you said the Washington Post, but come on, more importantly, Beaverton High School. Yeah, know? we talked about we, this at the beginning of the show. We went through the list of illustrious. There's three of us. It's you, me, and Rust. Well, All, Rust was 96? 94. 94. Yeah. Thank you for trying, so, though. Well, in, tough, tough break, Dusty. Let the Beavers in the studio, man. <laughs> I know. It's like a Metro League. I'm just getting ganged up on over here as the Glencoe guy. Uh, but <laughs> you are here... And you're back in town for Damian Lillard's return. We were just talking about the emotions that are going to be in in Moda Center tonight uh, on Dame's part and a lot of the fans, too. What is you were here and you were covering the team when Dame was drafted and got into the NBA. What is your first memory of Dame as a, a prospect in a Portland Trailblazer? Well, I remember being real skeptical of Dame coming out of college because he had injury issues because he'd been in college for three or four years because it was a small school. Like Those are all the kinds of questions you have to ask during the pre-draft process. And then you start to get these overwhelmingly positive feedback about his interviews, his workouts, just his character, how he's uh, you know carrying himself when he's meeting the front office and ownership. And you're just like, wait a minute, where's the truth here? right? Like Because right. this feels like a lot of red flags on one side, which wound up all not mattering whatsoever. <laughs> and then a lot of like really positive green flags on the other side, which wound up kind of carrying the franchise for a decade. I think the other thing that was going on in that time period was like the draft was kind of tough, right? Like you get B-Roy, that's a home run, but then it turns out not to be a home run. You get Aldridge, that's a home run, and turns out maybe to be like standing double, maybe a triple, right? Yep. Uh, you get Odin, that turns out to be, you know, three strike strikeout, <laughs> basically. And so I think there was some concern like in that time period of just like, well, what's next? You know, is there going to be a guy who's at that spot in that draft who could uh, really carry a franchise. So I had probably lower expectations than most. Obviously, that was the Anthony Davis draft. Yeah. And once you realize you're not getting him, you're kind of just hoping, well, you know, 
at that spot, like, you know, five, six range, like usually that's not franchise level guys. And almost immediately during his rookie season, it was like, oh yeah, this guy's mature and polished, just like they promised during the pre-draft process. And he just hit the ground running, you know, and that's really what I remember is not very many point guards come in as ready as he was and actually do it. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing about this, Ben, you know, being there from the beginning and, you know, watching this franchise go through the the post-jailblazers, the Sebastian Telfair, the missing on Chris Paul, missing on Darren Williams. Yeah, you get Brandon. Yeah, you get LaMarcus. And yeah, you get the hope with Greg. But there was that one thing that we kept – it was the, the joke on Blazers' edge, the point guard of the future. Right. And it was like, is this guy going to be that guy? What was it like to kind of watch somebody, even though LaMarcus – had that kind of back and forth of not necessarily a power struggle, but looking at Dame assuming the mantle of the point guard leader. What was that like to kind of watch through the initial stages after Portland had just had that that vacancy really, I mean, since Damon? No, that's a great point. That was a whole nother layer to that uncertainty was like Jared Bayless didn't work out, right? Yeah. Uh, Raymond Felton, still a legend. I still hear about the cupcake jokes here <laughs> to, to 15 years after that time period, right? So not only did the Blazers kind of have this center curse, which has kind of been hanging, right? Mm-hmm. But it did feel kind of like the point guard was just never going to get solved, right? Like forget about the point guard of the future. Can they just get a competent point mm-hmm. guard? You know, is it even going to be possible? And so here he comes in and it was always quiet leadership. You know, I felt like with Brandon Roy – there was a kind of a walk the walk leadership style too, but every once in a while he'd raise his voice and have a lot to say in post game interviews. I think with Dame, there was a lot of respect towards his veteran teammates in terms of not trying to steal the team from a Lamarcus Aldridge, right? Not trying to overshadow guys who were older than him, but also being ready to hold his own, you know, and, and being ready to take big shots in big moments, not always deferring in those kinds of spots like some young players do. And uh, I do think it goes back to just his unusual path to the NBA. He, like he was older and he was definitely wiser and he was more professional in his habits than most rookie point guards. And so th- I think the questions about like, could this guy handle it? probably lasted three weeks you know maybe if that and it was like all right well which is insane to think about yeah, it not never in, happens Hardly not in the context happens. of like portland but like point guard in general you yeah. i mean you, you go down the list of, of modern pantheon point guards i think that list is probably him chris paul well steph i mean steph, I mean, steph, steph, steph a, was kind of it's a it's a fascinating comparison with steph because it took steph three four years yeah because to get he, to that ankles point. in monta he, he, you couldn't count on him mm-hmm. right you had the monte ellis factor like you mentioned but more so just like is he going to be out there every mm-hmm. single night and the durability from dame especially earlier in his career was insane you know yeah. he was out there every single game and i definitely remember that too there was a reliability a consistency to early lillard that um again just kind of wise beyond his years you know in we look at Portland and what Golden State did. Golden State was a mess when Steph got there, right? And they got rid of Monte Ellis, and they said, we're committing to this. We're committing to this core. The Blazers were unable to kind of get over the hump. How do you remember? Because you, you're, how will you remember this Blazers era when Dame was here as the franchise? Because they tried, but they never truly did right by him to build the winning and contender around him. Well, it was interesting because Paul Allen, you know, during his time as an owner, there was multiple periods where he would do anything, pay any bill, take any step he possibly could, take risks on players from a character standpoint to try to put a team that could win a championship on the court. And I don't know if it was because he was kind of later in his life, if he had other things going on. I don't know exactly why, but I never felt like they went and made the all-in move at any point during Lillard's prime. And I think 
one challenge was LaMarcus just kind of up and left, right? Yeah. So whatever planning they had around the two of them, which was a nice quality duo, very bankable duo, sort of went out and they had to kind of go to backup plans. And it never felt like those backup plans had the goal of being like a Warriors team where you're trying to win the championship and doing whatever you possibly can. I mean, the, the luxury tag bills that the the Warriors have paid here <laughs> the last five years are crazy, right? Nuts. And very few owners are willing to do that. Paul Allen would have been one of those owners, and it just felt like you know maybe you know his commitment just waned a little bit there towards the end. Maybe we'll never know. It could also have just been a management vision thing, right? The yeah. idea of like if you have a small market organization, they're consistent winners, they're always in the mix. That's a win in and of itself. You're mm-hmm. seeing the same thing right now in Indiana. That's what they're trying yeah. to build, right? They're thinking we've got Halliburton and Siakam. Those guys aren't going to win championship. Come on, nobody really believes that, right? But they can make the playoffs for the next eight years in a row, and their fans are going to have a, a team to be proud of. I think that's sort of what their goal was. And it's a shame because, you know, Lillard is now on a team that's willing to fire their coach after 40 games, <laughs> you know, to chase with, that championship. With the second best offense in the in NBA right. history. To, to go all out yeah. for that title. And, you know, I think his best years are behind him, in my opinion. And, you know. I don't think, I don't think that's, that's unfair to say. No. Yeah. And not by a ton. It's not no. like he's dramatically fallen off. But, you know, you go back three, four years, he's probably a better player than he is now, more efficient shooter, certainly. And to just know that he didn't have that kind of push when he needed it and they didn't align it up, it's going to be always one of those what could have been things, not just for him, but for fans too, I think. You've got like a, a nice tan. You've got a great head of hair now. Like you grew out your hair yeah, I didn't, a little bit. Little like bit. you, you used to have like the shaved head. It was like the yeah. the Ben Golliver special. Yeah, LA's changed you, man. I hope not. I, and, <laughs> um, so the tan, you know, that's just you just fall into that. Yeah, right, right, right. California. Right. Um, the hair thing, you know, that was actually a pandemic deal too. For my when I was writing that book that you mentioned, I have always really preferred the short hair. And yeah. my challenge to myself was I couldn't get a haircut until the book was was sent in and filed. So I didn't cut my hair for like six or seven months. It was so weird. I mean, it was like kind of emo. <laughs> you would not recognize me at all. And I never had to go in public because it was like the heart of the pandemic. So that haircut was my favorite haircut of my life. It's just a little bit longer. It's I like long. it. It's a yeah. good look, man. Okay. It's right. a good look. Can you stick around with us for a little bit longer? Oh, of course. All right. I, we're just getting going with Ben Golliver. Not just uh, Beaverton High School, but mm. the Washington Post as Indeed. well. Yes. All right. Well, Slightly bigger publication. I'm just going to I'm just gonna say Beaverton High School and then also go. the Washington Post NBA writer. Mm. He's in studio with us. This is Danny and Dusty on the fan. It's time for a pro football report. The inside story on America's favorite sport. Brought to you on the fan by the Farmer's Dog. Fresh human-grade dog food delivered right to your door. Third and nine. Chiefs at their own 46. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. If the Chiefs get a first down, it's over. Stingo. Mahomes will throw it. In the pocket, he's launching one long. Marquez Valdez scamping. Catches the ball at the Raven 30. How about that? Patrick Mahomes saying, give me the ball. Crunch time. You want the ball in your game changer's hands. And right there, you heard Jim Nance say it. Game is over if he delivers on this third down and six. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and here they are icing it against the Baltimore Ravens and now preparing for their fourth Super Bowl trip in the last five seasons. This pro football report on the fan is brought to you by Farmer's Dog. Fresh, human-grade dog food delivered right to your door. Farmer's Dog. 
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Danny and Dusty on the Odyssey app and 1080, The Fan. We are joined in studio by Ben Golliver, Beaverton High School grad, hmm. Washington Post as well. Um, you know, you have risen from the guy who blazer's edge all the way up and kind of climbed, and now you you cover the NBA on a national level. Do you find yourself having to defend Portland and the Trailblazers? What is the perception when you go around the country of the Portland Trailblazers. Well, you know, I think you have to kind of introduce them to people, first of all. You know, I think especially after this trade, everybody's yeah. just kind of fallen off the map, you know. Right? And I think they look at this roster and they say, well, DeAndre Ayton was supposed to be maybe battling for an all-star spot. Well, you know, that didn't happen. He didn't get the numbers that we expected with him being sort of the number one guy, at least the number one salary guy. People look at Scoot and they're saying, what's going on with Scoot? You know, why yeah. isn't he playing more? Why isn't he starting? Why isn't he getting the ball? Why isn't he putting up big numbers like a Victor Wembanyama or a Brandon Miller? So I think the perception right now is, you know, they're just off, you know, stage left. Um, I think I was actually impressed by the level of vitriol that I heard from some Blazers fans here in Portland last night when I went to this event for, uh, you know, the Dame Photography Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people who are a little bit feisty. I don't know if you guys are in the same spot mentally Th- with this team, but there's, there's there's been certainly a lot of that yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so I think that probably gets lost. You know, I think that people from the outside look at Portland and they say, well, it's going to be a tough market to really build a winner, small market, all those disadvantages. Once you lose a star like Dame, you're going to have to give a team like that three years to kind of turn it around. Yeah. And everybody else is able to check out. And fans here, it's sort of like, well, 
how are you going to check out on the Blazers? That's what we talk about 365. And mm-hmm. so I think that's probably yeah. the biggest gap between national perception and local perception. But there's been some cool stories like Walker. I mean, yeah. This guy, what a stud. You know, that's a nice little uh, a nice little find for Portland. Um, Scoot, there's been some flashes too. Um, and I would love to – I mean, this is sidetracking things. I would love to see them trade Brogdon. I know that's kind of going back and forth yeah. right now. When's the right time to do it? You got to get Scoot back on the ball. You got to get Scoot back in – you know, a confident headspace where he feels like this is going to be his team, not where he's kind of stuck in between. And so that would be the move I would make if I was Portland. And I think if they do trade Brogdon at the deadline, you're going to see more national discussion about, okay, they're entering the next phase because right now it's kind of this purgatory. People don't know what to make of the Blazers. Right. You know, I, I think there's there's a lot of that to that. And, I, and, and just kind of discussing that with, with the Blazers organization, but around the league, I think a lot of what people are saying right now is that, is Scoot ready for that yeah. spot? Yeah. And they, they're trying to figure out, like, are they just trying to bring him along slowly because it is going to be a two- or three-year process and they don't want to try to force it or rush it because they tried that on that road trip where they just got yeah absolutely schlacked, you know, 62-point loss. We're glad they came home from that trip, right? There, yeah. It kind of seemed like 50-50 Maybe, there for a maybe while. they <laughs> should stay out on the trip a little bit longer. You Don't come home until you win. Yeah. Um, kind of coming back to Dame, what, what are – you were there day one as he takes this mantle, just kind of move, progressing through Dame's kind of return now. When he takes over, kind of for Lamarcus, and you know he Lamarcus leaves, goes to San Antonio, and it's now Damian Lodge's team. And that team coming into that season, the over under for Vegas twenty six and a half wins, and you get to see the first real Dame time era. Take what 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 kind of stands out from that first run of that era. Well, the 26.5 is what stands out because I think there was a lot of people thinking it could go under (laughs) coming into that season, right? Because, you know, Damian Lillard, you know, I think at at times was viewed maybe more as a one-way player at that stage. And it's like, how are you going to throw him out there with no front court help? Where, you know, where, how is that? Maybe it's going to translate to numbers for him, but is it going to translate to wins? And again, with, with Aldridge, just so bankable. I mean, everybody knows he's a 2010 every single night. And you're looking around at the front court saying they don't, they don't have any replacements for that, right? And so, uh, what people underestimated was his ability to skill his, scale his own offense immediately, right? And take on the type of superstar level burden that became more common in the next couple of years around the league. But at that time, it was not super-duper common to just, like, throw your superstar to the Wolves and say, get us every last basket, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Harden came along and did that. Uh, You know, we're seeing guys like Luka and Joel Embiid have these huge usage seasons. Russell Westbrook, you know, another player kind of in a similar era doing things like that. Uh, But with Lillard, you know, I think that people overlooked him. You know, he's a little guy. You know, he's not as big as in physical as some of these star-level players who are handling the huge, huge loads. And he showed he could do it without sacrificing efficiency. And then Stotts, you know, when he when he comes along, proves that you could build an amazing three-point heavy offense that's efficient, that can get it done against any type of defense around that skill set. So um, they took everybody by surprise, including myself. I thought it was going to be a choppier retooling effort. And I do wonder if had that not, season not gone as smoothly as it did, and maybe they have a little bit more pain up front, mm-hmm. we would have gotten a little bit more of a push later mm-hmm. on to be willing to take the mm-hmm. next step, right? Because – 
you're like, well, you know, we know Damon CJ can deliver X number of wins and a top five offense every single year. So did they just fall back on that? You know, especially Neil Olshay. Did he just say, hey, this is kind of good enough. We can get by with this rather than saying, okay, well, what's really going to optimize the team and, you know, put them in a position where they can actually make deep playoff runs. And, you know, it's again, one of these hypotheticals we're never going to know, but um, I wish I could kind of run it back. And rather than get comfortable with that early success, use that early success as a springboard to push even harder. Right. You know, you mentioned like from day one, Dame just came in and off the jump, he was impressive. And we're seeing, you talked about how Steph, it took him like three years, whether it was health or finding that rhythm, you know, but Steph ended up growing into that guy who there's a lot of guys in the NBA that can get buckets. Right. But to become a creator and facilitate for everybody else around them, that's when your point guard becomes special. As we kind of look at, Dame was almost that from the get-go, and he had refined the facilitator role a little bit more as his career went on. But how many guys are there like that in the NBA that have that create-for-everybody kind of uh, game and stylistically that can do it? Because you see it's pretty few and far between where you can combine and meld both of those together. Yeah, no, I mean, the guys who I think are the best playmakers for their teammates right now tend to be actually bigger players who are just kind of like, you know, a center trapped in a point guard's body like Mm -hmm. Jokic or a big wing trapped in a point guard's body like a Luka or a LeBron. I think the one aspect that Steph had that Dave never got was Draymond. Because I think yeah. the the perfect pairing for Steph was a super versatile defender who could also play in pick and rolls and be a facilitator and could also be an amazing passer to kind of take some of that burden off Steph. You see it even now. When Steph has to be on the ball, he turns the ball over a lot. I and mean, he's pretty weak with the ball in some situations. And you're just like, man, what what are these passes? Even in the NBA Finals, he's throwing behind-the-back behind passes the back for turnovers yeah. and like costing him t- his, his team a title. And you're like, what is going on mm-hmm. here? And, you know, Lillard had, you know, a good partner in Aldridge, a really good partner in C.J. McCollum, but he never had that perfect balancing player who could kind of cover up for maybe some of his weaknesses and make his strengths even stronger. And, you know, Dame, like the shot quality that he got in Portland, you know, people are going to trap him. He's going to have to take these shots from 30 feet. With Steph, he had a lot more space to operate thanks to Draymond. And then, of course, he's an amazing shooter, so he can pull from anywhere. It's not a huge problem there, but – um, you know, I, that's another regret too, is they never kind of found the right successor to Aldridge or, you know, uh, Dame's version of Draymond to pull the best out of him. You know, that's, I think that New Orleans series, when you said trap him, that mm-hmm. New Orleans series, like when we look at the benchmarks in his career, it, that is where his career took off to another level. Like, because he'll it, say that too. It was ugly. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that series was bad on every front, not just him either, yeah. either. but you you mentioned the the pairings around him. He's got Giannis now. Pretty good. That's a pretty yeah. good guy. Well, that's his him. Draymond. You know, yeah, what I mean, yeah, a lot it. of the stuff that I was saying about Draymond does Giannis yeah, does and more. It. Right? Yeah. Who would you like when you look at young Scoot where his game is at now? What do you think the 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 pairing would be that amplifies his game a little bit more? The first thing I want to see for Scoot before you can start dreaming about Hall of Fame big men partners, I just want to see great spacing around Scoot because shooters. the type of his game, yeah, shooters, 100%. The type, you know, the type of his game that you want to see is him to be able to take his man off the dribble, get to the rim and have as few contested shots as possible. I think a lot of the problem and people are focusing on his, you know, poor finishing numbers so far this season, but it's much harder to finish in traffic than it is to finish uh, in a spaced out court. Another guy who's a different body type dealing with the exact same problem is Cade Cunningham with the Detroit Pistons. I mean, this guy plays yeah. in a box every single night, right? And so, you know, I like Kamara 
you know, I, I like Tybal. I tend to like those type of defensive stopper type players more than the average person. But if you're just going to surround Scoot with those type of guys, you're going to have finishing problems. You're going to have inefficiency. You're going to have him settling for tough shots more than you would want. So I would actually start like the building program around Scoot with getting some wing shooters. That's where I would start it. And, you know, Aiton can set picks and roll and, and give you some offense that way. I would like to see him and, and Scoot more involved in pick and rolls as well. Uh, but that would be my first step if I was trying to build the the right roster around him. I mean, we could sit here and talk with you all day. If Do you have anything going on? Can you stick around for one more? Well, there's a game tonight. You there, know. Okay, uh, so, so we got that, you till but... 7. <laughs> we got you till 7. Yeah. No, let's talk. Let's all right. do it. All right. Uh, ben Golliver, uh, Beaverton High School, and mm. the Washington Post as well. Uh, check out his book. If you haven't, uh, I highly recommend Bubble Ball. He was down in the bubble, and great storytelling from what it was like that COVID year in down that in Disney World. Show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, ben Golliver continues with us. This is Danny Dusty on The Fan. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Whether you're a duck or whether you're a beaver, your fantasy team needs a new receiver. It's Danny and Dusty at lunchtime every day. Maybe you're a tortured fan of Rip City. Danny and Dusty are here to take pity, hoping there's not a center with bad knees on the way. Talking noon till three, Danny and Dusty on the fan. Yep, I'm singing again, because they haven't said I can't. Danny and Dusty love the teams the rest of us revile. Raising a Blazers banner would make it all worthwhile. Noon till three. An Odyssey station. Hour number two, Danny and Dusty here on this Wednesday. We are joined in studio by Beaverton's own Ben Golliver. Um, we were talking about, before you came out at the beginning of the show, uh, you are the most well-adjusted of of the four people that currently have microphones in front of their faces mm. right now. Uh, so congratulations on that. Yeah. I don't know if that that's sounds a, like faint praise. I don't think that's a high bar to, <laughs> to go, but uh, it's a golf club. Yeah. 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 Of the, of the guys that are, that are local and the three Beaverton high yeah. alums that we have here, the most well-adjusted. Yeah. So okay. he, he joins us. In st- he's you, like, you're also, the, you're the only one with the, uh, the blue text on the Wikipedia page for Beaverton high school alumni. Okay. I'll take yeah. that too. Look at, that. Look at that. Look at that. We're talking blazers yeah. with Ben because it's a big day in Rip City as Damian Lillard returns for the first time in another uniform. Uh, what about this start in Milwaukee? As we, We've talked about Dame and kind of the steps of his progress. We've talked about the Blazers, but Milwaukee firing Adrian Griffin midway through the season 
what a journey that 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 has been here with Dame was like he had Stotts it was his guy yeah. he goes to Milwaukee Stotts is there for a week <laughs> and now he's just like, like screw it I'm out <laughs> <laughs> he has all the stability in the roster around yeah. him but no coach now the coach instability what have you made of this first half plus of the of the Bucks season so I got to see the Bucks at the in-season tournament semifinal game they played against Indiana and I my jaw was kind of basically on the floor you guys coach you sports do either one of you yeah 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 I do so you, you can relate to this so during that game they're going against the Pacers Pacers amazing offense right so uh Adrian Griffin decides he wants to put out a 2-3 zone I've never seen this before in my life from a professional NBA coach. He holds up two fingers on one hand and three fingers on the other. That's how no. he signals for his 2-3 zone. He's like he's coaching third graders. I'm th- looking around <laughs> saying, what is this guy doing? Is this really happening in front of my eyes? And he keeps doing it over and over and over again. It's like, man, at least come up with some sort of a nickname for it or like a hand signal. Um, wow. So that's what we were working with in Milwaukee. I think that when you start to hear the conversations about the players and, and Adrian Griffin and maybe he lost the locker room, I think some of it came down to just, you know, base level strategy stuff, especially on defense where they're going from Mike Budenholzer, who is like the most rigid formulaic. Here's exactly how we're going to play. Here's the shots that we allow. Here's we're playing the shots drop that we no don't. matter what. No, no matter what. And you, you can, you know, you can't shoot corner threes against them, but you could take as many above the break mm-hmm. threes as you want all day long. Those are the shots that they give up. And, you know, Griffin comes in with this different defensive philosophy where he wants everybody running all over the court. The old guys are like, we're not going to run. Why are we doing that? <laughs> and then he's holding up two and three fingers and like, oh, yeah, we're going to a two, three. So it's like, come on, man. Like, what's the base level of, of you know, that we're looking for? So um, that was, uh, you know, an interesting first impression for me with them. And then that very night. You know, there's reports, oh, locker room's pissed off, Bobby Portis is going at coach, and it's like, well, yeah, I probably would have too after that performance because they got killed by Indiana, yeah. and they looked like they were in a pretty tough spot. So um, wasn't totally surprised that he got fired, but usually coaches are better at um, self-preservation than he was. Like, usually they make the adjustments that are going to keep the players happy enough to keep the heat off, especially when they're winning. And the fact that he couldn't do that just tells you it was a bad hire, uh, bad hire from the start. Yeah, You know, now with Doc... Lots of questions there, too. It was interesting to see how hard they played against the Nuggets the other night. I don't know if you guys saw that game. They came out, and they were up early playing super hard. But the most fascinating part about Milwaukee for me is how that game closed because Denver destroyed them on both sides of the basketball. I mean, they're getting wide-open dunks. Jamal Murray's taking Damian Lillard, walking him straight into the paint and, and taking a jumper over the top of him on a very key possession. On the other end, Denver's getting big stops, and Milwaukee's clutch offense, thanks to Dame, has been much better this year. But when they really needed to execute in the crucial minutes of that game, they weren't doing it. So they still have to figure some things out uh, if they want to get back onto this championship level. But um, you know, I think that's why the pressure is now on Doc to do that, to kind of make those types of adjustments. Sometimes in the past, he's been okay at that. Sometimes that's been a shortcoming for him. So that's an open question. And I think also for Damien to go from being the man in Portland, where he basically gets the blame the least of anybody in the organization, to going to Milwaukee, where all the blame was on Adrian Griffin. Well, <laughs> we don't have Adrian Griffin to blame anymore. He's yeah. out. Like, Doc, you know, he can take some of it, but there's going to be more scrutiny on Lillard, the player, I think, for these next three to four months than there's ever been before in his career. He's going to have to step up and play, you know, better, more physical defense in big moments and then he's gonna have to get back to shooting the ball like we all know he can't right it's just been a little bit of a down year for him he's picked it up a little bit recently but they need the i can go for 40 any night lillard uh to come in more often i think when you look at where this organization the trailblazers have been 
uh, in relationship to their their stars. Every single one of them has ended unceremoniously and in a, in a manner that I don't think anybody in the organization would want, whether it's Bill Walton and a complete disassociation from the franchise for literal decades, and then Clyde and his trade demand, and Brandon, even in that short time period, how great he was, there was real animosity between him and Paul Allen because of the handshake agreement that was violated when he medically unretired and went to the Timberwolves. And then LaMarcus leaves, and then Dame's trade request. Even through all of those, do you think there's a there's a difference between how each of those went and how they ultimately were resolved and how Damian Lillard is going to be looked at tonight, even though it's clearly the freshest? Well, I think one common theme from some of those names that you mentioned is that injuries change yeah. the story for yeah. a lot of those guys. And we're seeing it right now with Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. When you deal with recurring injuries or players who can't stay healthy or can't play 100% to their peak, there is always going to be disappointment. Disappointment breeds hard feelings, and it goes both ways, whether it's on the player side or the organization side. So I don't know if you can ever, even if you handled the situation perfectly, ever get out of the Brandon Roy era with everybody feeling good mm-hmm. or ever get out of that Bill Walton era with everybody feeling good. I think it's just kind of impossible what I think this Lillard situation might be different from some of the other ones is this feels pretty amicable by NBA divorce standards, right? There's nobody shooting, uh, you know, bullets into his jersey like we saw with Kevin Durant, <laughs> right? There's nobody like burning stuff outside, you know, in Cleveland, you know, mm-hmm. calling LeBron a traitor. I mean, there's none of that. There's right? no Comic Sans. Yeah. This feels very amicable on both sides. Lillard said yesterday he's come back with love. I think I heard that quote, mm-hmm. right? Blazers fans, I think I'm in, uh, preparing for people to be crying tonight, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. definitely possible. So that even feels different from Drexler's return or from some of these other players' return. And I think it speaks to, you know, this is a, I think it really speaks to fans more than anything else because part of the reason why there's been harsh feelings throughout all these decades is because the fans embrace these guys and bring them in in the ways that not every fan base does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a player. This is a family member. It's kind of how people look at it. And when families have hard times, it gets personal and, and people take it the wrong way. But, you know, to me, like, it did get a little bit ugly last summer. You know, like, Dame doesn't put Joe Cronin in his goodbye letter. You know, Joe Cronin supposedly, oh, he's not contacting you. These guys aren't talking to each other at the uh, practice facility and all of that. Who knows whether that particular relationship's ever going to get back to where it was prior to all of this. But doesn't that feel like water under the bridge? Like, aren't people mm-hmm. over that? Aren't you just ready to go, you know, celebrate this guy tonight and cheer for him? And when he gets to, you know, the, the letter O or whatever, you know, people are going to go nuts. And that doesn't always happen. You know, we've seen big stars not get as warm of a reception as Lillard's going to get tonight. I think there is like this element, though, like Joe Cronin may not have been in the in the farewell letter, but. I think Dame's maturity is a big part of it in his relationship with the city. Separate from the organization mm-hmm. is a big part of, of this amicable split. But I think Cronin in the organization kind of doing right by him was a, a big part too. Yeah, he didn't get to Miami, but they put him in the best situation possible. I mean, it's, what did you... it's it's funny when the when the team trading you knows your best interest better than you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could all hope to be in that situation. But the other thing they did is I thought they took the high road. You know, like yeah. it did get a little bit ugly. There was opportunities for Joe to you know air stuff out if he really wanted to. I don't know how you know crazy it would have been, but. 
um, you know, being with the Blazers down at training camp in Santa Barbara for a day. And it's like, you know, asking those kinds of questions, like, you know, how do you guys feel about moving on? Is there any, you know, regrets? Would you have done anything differently? And they're just like, we're focused on these young guys. We're going forward. We have a new era. We're thankful today. And we're going to treat him right when he comes back to Portland. He's going to get his jersey up in the uh, rafters. There was talk about a statue. There's going to be a statue. I would bet almost anything on that, right? Oh, no, that's, that they're, yeah. they're doing one for Sean's and they're, doing, they're going to do one for Dame. Yeah, so there you go. What more can you do, right? It's right. like, okay, sure, maybe it gets a little bit tough when you're juggling phone calls from Miami and Milwaukee and whoever else you're talking to. That's just part of the business. It's more about how you mend those fences. And I don't think that the Blazers – you can criticize the Blazers for a lot this year in terms yeah. of roster building, construction, are these players underperforming, was eight in the right bet. I mean, you could dig these guys on a lot of different topics, but I don't think you could say they – have handled the the aftermath of that trade any better our former uh president of basketball ops trained us to know roster construction is not the issue here ben, right okay that's right <laughs> it's the best and deepest roster you've ever had every year right that's, that's right yeah. that's right when you look at the the damian lillard era what is you know with walton it's the title with clyde it's just how close they got yeah with you know, Brandon, LaMarcus, Greg, it's what could have been. What's the singular thread that you kind of pull from Dame? Because I don't, I think it's, for me at least, a little bit of kind of all of those things. But where do you kind of end up with it, with what what was the decade of Lillard? So for me, I'm a big Michigan football fan, and so I'm just coming off this Rose Bowl, which was like the single greatest day of my life, you know, like, I mean, (laughs) unbelievable. You know how people say like, oh, the birth of my kids, or like (laughs) my marriage day was, no, forget that. Sorry to any of my... (laughs) family members that I offend. The Rose Bowl was the best day of my life. So my point is, you know, that last play where Alabama Milrow is running into the line, Michigan gets the stand, it's fourth and three, they win the Rose Bowl, they knock down, they send Saban into retirement, all of that. That is just like one of those moments. Honestly, I'll remember that more than when they go the next week to Houston and win the national championship because mm-hmm. that moment was so special. I And, you know, obviously it was great that they won it. Winning the championship helped validate that moment. But you get my point. Sometimes those special moments stick with you. And I think anybody who was at the Rockets buzzer beater or at the Thunder buzzer beater, that moment might not be a championship. But tell me that, you know, there's been champions who won the title and never had a moment as cool as that along the way, right? And especially the, the OKC one with just the perfect wave, the amazing pictures, the memes that have lasted for years. I go back and watch that Rose Bowl overtime like once. I'm honestly every day, pretty much. <laughs> like it's it's pretty pathetic. You said I was well adjusted earlier. I don't know. Where, I don't know where that came from. No, but you the, the many, bar is that low. Right. I mean, you just you just cleared it. Like yeah. that is the most well adjusted thing that we've heard all day. Right. And so for you guys though, you could probably go back and watch that Dame shot. Either one of those Dame yeah. shots. You know, how many times do you think you've watched a thousand? You know, two thousand. I mean, you you really add it up. It's a lot. And so I guess my point is. Not every team has an equal opportunity in the NBA to win a championship, to hoist the trophy, but that shot against OKC was almost more rare than a title in some ways. And so that's really what sticks with Mm -hmm. me is like he gave people a moment. That moment will live and live and live and live and live for decades. Anybody who watched it, even on TV, but also in person, will remember exactly where they were, what the weather was like that day, what they had for lunch like. And that's how I feel about that Rose Bowl, too. And that's the takeaway. That's why we follow sports. That's why people care. You know, that's why people live through rebuilds. It's because you're waiting for that payoff. And that was just about the sweetest payoff ever for a Blazers fan. Other than that 77 championship parade, which I still hear from the old guys mm-hmm. about. I mean, that, you know, it's arguably number two on the list, right? Red beans and rice and sending that mother bleeper home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's what he told Chris Haynes. Yeah. <laughs>
I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. That was a nice little build-up to yeah, that one. Man. Well, hey, uh, we appreciate you sticking around with us for so long. Welcome back. Welcome home. You know, we it's not too much rain that we have going on. No, it's perfect. Though. That's the other thing with the Rose Bowl. It's like beautiful blue skies. The mm. skies parted for that game. Tonight for Lillard's return had to be gloomy, a little bit yeah. of rain, you know, making sure you don't screw your shoes up on the way to the arena. Like, that is the right feel for yeah, this night tonight, isn't it? Per- it, it perfectly really dodging is. puddles. Wait, does this mean you're – are you a Chargers fan now? Um, no, I don't th- I don't think there are Chargers fans, <laughs> so maybe there will be now. I've never met one in the wild. Yeah. Have you? Uh, <sighs> not a real one. Yeah, yeah like, not, there's, not since the move, I mean, because yeah. they obviously there, had a fan base. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of, like, uh, just Oregon fans that have, with Justin Herbert, yeah. Attached, so you're 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 just kind of got to watch them in Harbaugh at a distance. Well, yeah, I don't I don't count that as a Chargers fan. That's a Herbert. Fan, you know? <laughs> I, I'm a Harbaugh right. fan, obviously indebted to him. We're talking about statues. Let's get him a statue mm. in Ann Arbor. But no, I I don't think I'm going to be hopping on the Chargers bandwagon. Although. Plenty of good seats still available, <laughs> I think. No, it's tricky, though, in L.A., man. you got so many teams. you got Shohei Otani. Obviously, you got LeBron. You know, even the Clippers, I think, are probably at this point above the Chargers on the pecking order. So that's why you go out there and make a splash higher like Harbaugh because you're trying to uh, wow. get relevant in a way you just haven't been. What is what is the feeling about the Clippers in their new arena? That That's Inglewood. It's going to be massive. It's going to be beautiful. Side of the old forum. Yeah. Yeah, I toured it. I mean, it's it's coming along. It's incredible how fast they built it. Like if you have an unlimited budget, you can do so many cool it's crazy. things. And like yeah. Palmer's like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's just, let's put this into practice. Um, the, the technology is going to be crazy. You're going to walk into like the little store to get your food, grab and go. You're not going to have to pay. You're just going to walk out and it's going to somehow know who you are. I think with, uh, you know, your credit card, whatever, you don't have to swipe it. It's just going to automatically charge you. You get back to your seat. Um, he's obsessed with the number of toilets he's got in the arena. So there's not going to be any lines for bathrooms whatsoever. You're going to be in and out charging stations at every seat, you know? What? So, and apparently they're going to be tracking people. If you agree to sign up, they could track how loud you're cheering and for how long you're cheering. And if you meet his standard, they're going to give you discounts at the team shop. So you can go buy a Jersey or go buy a t-shirt. Like this guy's trying to do whatever he can to really create a home court advantage for the Clippers because they've never had it. I mean, you go to Clippers games, sometimes, you know, Clippers and Blazers, there'd be more people cheering for the Blazers, right? Uh, especially in Dame's heyday than there are for the Clippers. So that really bothers him. He's trying to completely change the narrative around the team. It's a big bet, man. It's a $2 billion plus bet that he's going to be able to kind of craft this fan base in the image that he wants, and we'll see if he can do it. But I think, like, to the point of, like, no Chargers fans being down there, like, just sharing staples, that's where the Lakers play. It's not, it's where the Lakers play, and then on off nights, the Clippers are there, too. It'd be like, you know, a G League team sharing an arena. Totally. And And they play at 1230 all the time, like, on weekends. So, like, James Harden's first home game for the Clippers, like, they're so excited. We got James Harden, you know, all these SoCal players on the same team. And his first game was 1230 against the Memphis Grizzlies (laughs) with no jaw. So you get there, it's half full, and, like, nobody's excited. And, like, if I'm hard, I'm looking around like, what's going on? And they've played so well, actually, over these last two months that they've started to build up some momentum and the fans are back in the building. But having their own place is going to be huge for them. What team are you buying in the NBA that that maybe is on the periphery right now? Because, I mean, I think the Clippers are are one of those teams that they're built to be a – they're going to be really – If they're healthy, they're there. They yeah. they absolutely yeah. are. What teams are are you buying right now? Well, if I'm looking at it like a stock market, I'm buying OKC because yep. I think they're blue chip. I love their ma- all of their main players, Shea, uh, Jalen Williams, but especially Chet. Mm-hmm. I think those guys are incredible. Here's a take for you: 2029. I think Chet has a chance to be the best American player. Period. 
full stop. Ooh. And you look at the young Getting in front guys of the right Cooper now, flag uh, yeah, well, run, huh? I'm counting on Cooper not quite being at his peak at okay. that point. But I also <laughs> think that people just massively sleep on how good Chet is and yes. how much he's improved yeah. already. Yes. I in, saw, in, a, in an off year. Yeah, well, he had a whole year off with a foot injury. When's the last time you saw somebody come back this well from a foot injury? What can you do on a foot injury, yeah. you know? So he clearly worked on his shot, but uh, just his shot blocking ability, timing is incredible. He's perfect fit for the modern NBA, so competitive. And so I think that, you know, if you're looking at this as like a five-year question, which team has the best chance to compete for titles consistently, I feel like OKC is almost where the Celtics were like three, four years ago, where like you just know they're going to be a problem every single year. Incredible culture. They've got all these draft picks to keep stock in the, uh, the the rotation. And they've got guys who buy into their local culture who don't want to leave. You know, Shea had an opportunity to be, you know, messy about it and try to ask out and all that. And he doubled down and tripled down on the Thunder. So that is the team that I've been uh, most excited about this year. And, you know, we'll see how far they can go. You know, Western Conference Finals doesn't seem unrealistic. Uh, I don't know if they can make the finals, but uh, coming into the season, I never would have even thought they could win a series, you know? You you brought up Shet, so I've got to ask you, which which side of the fence are you on, Shet or Wemby this year? Oh, Wemby. Oh, okay. for Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the Year. Oh, for long term, I'm on Wemby's side. Yeah. I think for right now, my midseason award vote went to Chet because okay. he had played about 25% more minutes, and all of his minutes are, like, impacting playoff Leverage standings, minutes. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Wemby... I mean, at a, at a point like not that long ago, they had the worst point differential as a team of any team since the Bobcats team that tanked for Anthony yes. Davis. That's oh. a long run of bad teams, right? <laughs> and so the Spurs were just getting destroyed night after night. Now, they've pulled themselves together a little bit, um, but Wemby's been on this minutes limit. What's interesting is the, the head-to-head matchup recently between Shed and Wemby, mm-hmm. Wemby took it super personally. Like, he's talking trash down 30, you know, mm-hmm. because he's trying to let Shed know, I'm winning this matchup even if your team's winning yeah. the game. And I think he understands to be able to win Rookie of the Year, he's got to have better numbers, and he's really got to make a strong yeah. push to close. And I think there's a really good chance he does it. But as of today, I would vote for Chet. Dude, we appreciate the time. Thank yeah. you so much, man. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Great to see you guys. Uh, congratulations on the show and everything. I'm, I've heard hey, it's thanks, been man. successful. Numbers are looking pretty good, right? Yeah. 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 Things are going well, man. There we appreciate go. it, and we appreciate you coming in. Ben Golliver, uh, Beaverton Zone, Washington Post. Uh, go check out uh, the, the book, if you haven't yet, Bubble Ball, uh, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. It, it's an incredible read, and it kind of takes you down memory lane because there's some good Blazers quips in there, too, with Lillard <laughs> and uh, in, in Portland. Oh, that's so. another great memory. The shot. Remember the shot that bounced yeah. up, hung in the air for like 10 seconds and fell through in the bubble? Oh, man. What a good one. <laughs> ben, thanks, man. And enjoy tonight at Moda Center. It's going to be a special night. I can't wait. Wouldn't miss it. All right. Uh, this is Danny Dusty, 1080 The Fan. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.